If you have your Bible this morning, then let's go to the New Testament book of Acts, please. Um, We are in week two now of a brand new series we began last week that I am calling The Power to Change the World. And we will walk verse by verse through this amazing New Testament book of Acts. Um, As I shared with you last Sunday, what I want us to do is to literally walk in the shoes of this first generation of New Testament believers who saw Jesus, saw his miracles, heard him teach, saw him go to the cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe, saw him three days later rise again from the dead, eyewitnesses to this, and then saw him ascend into heaven and see how it changed every part of their lives and that they became a part of God's mission, and God used them to change their world. I said to you last week, Acts is the story of God sending the grace of Jesus flooding into the world by His Holy Spirit's power in and through ordinary believers like you and me who get to proclaim, preach, declare, and share the good news of Jesus. Uh, This week at youth group, one of our new youth groupers asked me, hey, Pastor Ben, what was that E word that you mentioned last week? What was that that Eva Eva word? I said, oh, evangelism? She said, yeah, yeah, evangelism. What does that mean? I said, well, evangelism means sharing the good news. And um, she said, that's kind of like your daughter's name, Evangeline. I said, yes, exactly. Because when we named her Evangeline, we named her literally good news. And not just any good news, but the best news, the news of Jesus, because we want her life to be marked by experiencing the good news of Jesus, and we want to raise her to be someone who would share that same good news. And this word evangelism shows up in the book of Acts more times than any other book of the Bible. So again, we are invited to join into Jesus' mission. Um, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that we looked at in depth last week really is the keystone verse for all of the book of Acts. So I want to read that together for just a moment to begin our time. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we will come back to this constantly, says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples we saw last week get this amazing promise from Jesus himself in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And it is the last words that Jesus ever speaks during his earthly ministry. And the fulfillment of this prophecy command is going to be, we know from Scripture, it's going to come 10 days later in Acts chapter 2 that we'll look at next week. This moment that we now refer back to as Pentecost, when God sends the Holy Spirit in in power, and the Holy Spirit manifests itself in the lives of all 120 believers, which, by the way, is the the totality of the church on the planet in that moment, 120 believers. But there's an in-between, isn't there? Today's passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, is not going to be about Jesus' powerful promise or his amazing ascension that we saw last week. And it's not going to be about the Holy Spirit's mighty arrival manifested with these tongues of flame above the believer's heads. That's happened. The other is going to happen. But now we are in the middle. 
We're in the in-between. We're in the already and the not yet, which by the way, in many ways we find ourselves as well waiting for Christ's return. We are in the wait. And the believers now are in a wait. Have you ever found yourself in a position when you are waiting on God? Waiting for circumstances to, uh, to change This is that moment when God tells you to wait on his plan or wait on his power or wait on his healing or wait on his answers. You've been there before? I'm waiting. You ever wanted God to hurry up? Safe place. You ever wanted God to hurry up? Yeah. Have you ever questioned God? Of course. God, why would you do it this way? God, why didn't you move when I needed you to move? God, why didn't you answer on my timeline? Those are all very real questions that we will face. God, I need a job. I need help. I need clarity for a decision. God, I need you to move and and change and heal my marriage or my children. And I'm stuck here in the middle. I'm in the waiting. This passage that we're going to look at at is the the waiting. And it, it, it seems, as we read it here in a second, it will seem to you fairly unimportant, it might even seem to you boring, and I will challenge you that, that nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said in Acts 1-4, wait, and so now here we see the waiting, and so people of God, let's learn this morning, how do we wait? What, what do we do? What do we not do? How do we wait and trust in the Lord? Let's read now Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. It's a fun verse. You want to get bumper sticker with that one? Is that one on your fridge, anyone? No. Okay. This is Judas Iscariot that we're talking about. Verse 19, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Hustus and Matthias, same guy, multiple names. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. 
and they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, illuminate to us this morning your love, your power, and your grace. Show us how to apply this moment of waiting to our own lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Six very simple things that the Lord Jesus calls you to do as you wait on His promises. Six very simple things that we see here. Number one, obedience. Obedience. We see this in verse 12 in the phrase, they returned to Jerusalem. Obedience. The disciples did in verse 12 exactly what Jesus told them to do in verse 4, and that is profound. After seeing Jesus ascend to heaven, they went back to Jerusalem to wait. That is what he told them to do. Obedience is hard sometimes. I I knew that as a single person, as a young adult, but now I have kids, and I know so much more how hard obedience is because all of our hearts are built with this little trigger that says, no, no, I know better. And we do that to God. We do that to others in authority over us. What would you do, though, if you were in the disciples' shoes and Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait? You can imagine, if you were in their shoes, what kind of temptations you might face. The disciples could have, and I think this is probably what most of us would have done, run away in fear again, because they just did that. Remember, 43 days ago, when Jesus was about to be crucified, when Judas betrayed him, and when the soldiers sew up, all of the disciples split. They ran away, and they abandoned Jesus. Some of us like to handle our problems today the same way. I will just run away from them, and maybe they will go away. They could have um, also gone back to what they were doing before. There's plenty of worldly interests. Go back to their old jobs, their old entertainment. Could have gone back to discussing politics. Could have found a way to look busy. Sometimes we do the same. We avoid God's call on our life by taking up things so that we can appear to be busy same temptation they would have faced. But I think a number of us also would have said, man, this is exciting times. And they would have said, we don't need to wait for Jesus. We don't need to wait for this Holy Spirit thing. We can do the ministry ourselves. Beware of any leader. Beware of any church. Beware of any believer who in any way, shape, or form exudes to you, I have it figured out. We don't need to wait for Jesus We don't need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Let's just do it ourselves because the reality is, man, the world is broken. People are struggling. People are suffering. I have what it takes, and I will go out, and I will fix these things. I said to you last week, social change and moral change cannot take place in our world, let alone in any individual person's life, unless there is first spiritual change. And Jesus is the author of all spiritual change. I cannot change your heart because I can't even change my own heart. The Holy Spirit works in us out of His love and affection for us. So you can understand that the disciples may have thought, Jesus, I think this is a bad idea for us to just go back and wait. You choose what your your choice is for why you might not want to listen, but instead the disciples decided to just obey what Jesus said. It's profound 
for us. They chose obedience over self-reliance. James Montgomery Boyce in his uh, expositional commentary on Acts says this. I I thought this was profound. The situations in which we learn most about obedience are those in which we cannot see why we are called to do what we are doing. If we can give a reason for what we are doing, then we are not necessarily learning obedience, at least not simple obedience. What we are really doing is trusting our ability to reason things out. We are doing what we are doing because we think it is the best thing to do. There's nothing wrong with thinking things out, of course, but it is quite another thing to learn obedience when the prescribed course does not seem the best option. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament a murderer of Christians. Jesus blinds him on the Damascus road. He comes to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. His world is flipped upside down in the best possible way, and he immediately does not go out on his first missionary journey. Do you know that after Saul, who became Paul, after Paul's conversion to Jesus, it was 11 years of training and discipleship before he ever went out on his first missionary journey? Think about that. Do not despise the day of the Lord's training, the Lord's discipleship, the Lord's growing you, maybe in a difficult circumstance. Do not despise the day of waiting. I think Paul probably struggled at times, but he trusted that those 11 years were purposeful, that God was working in and through him. And after 11 years of training, he was sent out on his first of four missionary journeys, the total time of which was probably about 11 years. And then he lost his life for the gospel. But in that time, do you know what he did? God used one individual person who then multiplied through other ordinary believers, just like you and me. Paul's an ordinary believer too. And the gospel reached half of Asia and Europe, but it began with not despising, waiting, and trusting in the Lord. So let us obey the Lord. Number two, fellowship. The Bible says that they were together. All the believers, not many, but they were together in verse 13. This is fellowship. Eleven disciples now they're in the process of adding the 12th that will be the 12 apostles and a group totaling 120. This is fellowship. This is all we have, guys. We are all we have. And we're going to gather together and take care of each other. We need each other. And we're going to center our lives around Jesus, the risen Jesus. That's fellowship. And look at the type of people in that list who God gathered. And maybe you know some things about the disciples, but just consider for a second that in this list of the 120 that we're told specifically, look at who God gathered together. There are some major doubters who are now sold out believers. Thomas was a doubter. You know who else was a doubter? Jesus' brothers were super, super doubtful of Jesus. But now, They are sold-out believers. That's encouraging to me. Secondly, notice that the group of people includes people with extremely different political views. Huh. Simon the Zealot, his political views are as follows. Kill Romans now. Matthew the tax collector, I work for the Romans and I collect their taxes on their behalf. 
little bit of difference there. But yet in God's good providence, he brings people together with radically different stories and backgrounds and even politics, and they are now sold out believers for Jesus. Thirdly, you see, there's this lady named Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what's she doing? This is the last time, by the way, that the Bible mentions uh, Mary. We're just getting going. We never hear about her again. Why? Because she's an ordinary believer. Is anybody praying to Mary? No. What is Mary doing? She's praying to Jesus along with everybody else who is gathered because she, like everybody else in that room, like everybody in this room, we are all ordinary believers saved by an amazing grace and filled by an incredible power called the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Acts 17, 6, that God is going to use those ordinary believers to turn the world upside down. Uh, Here at New City, we need you. We need every single person that God sends us. We need you. You need us. We need each other, and we're going to center our lives around our common need of the grace of Jesus Christ. So we're going to gather together around prayer and fellowship and recognizing our need for Jesus, and we're going to unify around the good news of the gospel. Number three, prayer. Prayer stands out very prominently here. The Bible says in verse 14, devoting themselves to prayer. They prayed a lot. Pretty straightforward, right? I'm sure that it was a combination of organized prayer meetings and and worship times together, as well as I'm just going to get in my prayer closet, I'm just going to cry out to God, I'm alone, uh, and I need you, Jesus. It was all of the above. The point is that they were constantly praying, sometimes together, sometimes alone. Why? Because God hears our prayers. And because God answers our prayers better than we even know how to ask How good is God? He knows what I need before I ask, and He will provide what I need. Literally, while I was preparing this this third point of our sermon, um, I had to take a break and uh, hop on the phone for a second. I got on the phone, and um, I I heard those immortal, wonderful words that fill our hearts with joy. Thank you for calling. Your wait time is approximately eight minutes. If you'd rather leave a call back, you may press one at any time. Otherwise, please stay on the line for the next available agent. Joy. (laughs) Filled my heart. There are 7.9 billion people on the earth right now. If all 7.9 billion people on the earth at the exact same moment prayed to God, and oh, what a glorious moment that would be, the Lord God Almighty would hear every single prayer. He would know every single prayer, and he would answer every single prayer personally and immediately. That is why they are praying. That is why they are praying constantly, because God hears and God answers. Psalm 63, 6, when I prayed to you in the middle of the night on my bed, you were my help. Love Psalm 63. We're in the book of Acts. Speaking of Acts, um, We've talked a number of times about a way to pray and read the Scripture, and the acrostic is Acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We see this progression of praying uh, in all kinds of places all over the Scripture. We we didn't make it up. Um, Let me encourage you, if you have not yet, or maybe you got in that rhythm and you slipped out, grab a CBR or or a community Bible reading, which is the little spiral-bound black book 
uh, there at the welcome table. They're absolutely free. It just walks you through a New Testament and an Old Testament passage each day and challenges you as you read and as you pray to do those four things. Adoration of God, confession to God, thanksgiving to God, and supplication, which is just asking God for the stuff that we need. That is a way to pray. And I think that's exactly what the disciples would have been praying about when they prayed constantly. Adoration. Thank you, Jesus, for living the perfect life and dying on the cross to save me from my wretched sinfulness. I adore you for your grace. And I confess to you once again, I betrayed you. Peter is about to stand up and and talk to the believers. Peter is the very one who's like the worst of the worst. He abandoned Jesus. People came up, hey, do you know that Jesus guy? Nope, never heard of him. I confess to you, Jesus, in so many ways that I have abandoned you even this week. Thanksgiving, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for restoring my life. Thank you for other believers that you have called together. Thank you that I can be a part of your mission and in supplication. Jesus, change my world. Reach, save broken people. Heal people who are struggling. Heal people who are angry and sinful and doing ugly and terrible things. Lord, save the world and use me to do it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Because I know this, if you want to see revival or repentance or change in people's lives, in your home, in yourself, in your city, in your nation, and in your world, it begins on our end with prayer. Pray constantly. Number four, we see this in verses 15 through 20, Bible study. It says the scripture had to be fulfilled. How do they know? They're doing a Bible study. Uh, We live, guys, in an age in which we don't know our Bibles. We don't know God because we don't know His Word, because we don't open our Bibles. Rather, we live in a generation where the highest virtue is to know yourself. Know yourself. Look to yourself. You got what it takes. You're enough. I understand part of the sentiment there if you're encouraging somebody, but listen to me. You are not enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And in him, he fills us to overflowing. And Jesus reveals himself in the word of God through the Holy Spirit. So parents, be revolutionary. Teach your kids what the Bible is and show them how to open it and read it and study it and apply it to their lives. They're not going to learn unless you show them. Teach them how to tie their shoes. Maybe you're homeschooled, maybe you go to school, they're they're learning how to read and write and do math. Teach them how to read the Bible. Teach them how to know God through His Word and do Bible study. Because don't miss this, in verses 15 through 20, Peter understood what to do in the waiting by studying the Bible. He understood the need to replace Judas Iscariot by studying the Bible. He actually quotes two Old Testament verses, Psalm 109, verse 8, and Psalm 69, verse 25, and the Holy Spirit, who hasn't even yet fallen on them, gives them the wisdom to understand how to apply the prophetic passage to their present circumstances. 
We talk to God in prayer. We hear from God in his word. And Jesus, it says, spent that whole 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension rereading and teaching them how to read the Old Testament, which was the scripture that they had, to understand that he was the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. Look at Luke 24, verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice, too, Peter understood how to respond to the coming of the Holy Spirit by studying his Bible. Peter's first ever sermon is going to come immediately after the Holy Spirit fills them all at Pentecost. And what did he preach about? Know yourself. Do good things. No. He preached from the Scriptures, and he actually preaches from Joel 2, 28-32, which is the most profound of any Old Testament passage that tells us what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit shows up. How did he know how to prepare for the Holy Spirit's arrival? He read his Bible. If you want to know what God is about, if you want to understand his plans and his purposes, study the Bible. If you want to know an answer to a question that you have, study the Bible. If the Bible does not give you the exact specific detailed answer that you want, then take heart and rejoice. You didn't need to know. And he will take care of you. If you want to know how to share the good news, then read the good news. If you want to know how to have faith in scary times, then read the Bible and hear about faith in scary times. And let me encourage you, don't pluck a single verse out of the Bible, slap it on a meme, and post it so that you can prove that the thing that you already decided before you ever read the Bible really is true. That's not studying the Bible. That's studying yourself, deciding what you want, and then ripping a verse out of context to apply what you already thought. Don't do that. Rather, study the Bible to understand God's truth so that you can apply it to everyday life. Number five, disciple. In the waiting, disciple. Because it says here, become with us a witness. This is verses 21 through 23. The disciples were led by the Holy Spirit and by God's work to seek a qualified man to fill the now empty place of leadership that had been left open by Judas Iscariot. Church, we need pastors, more than just me. We need elders, more than just me. We need lay leaders. We need city group leaders. We need city kids in toddler town neighborhood nursery, disciplers and leaders. We need Bible study leaders. We need one-on-one personal disciplers. We need everyone in our congregation to be a disciple of Jesus and to be making disciples of Jesus. That means training up believers, and that means evangelizing and sharing the good news with people who don't know it yet. We are in the business of raising up new disciples, new leaders, the next generation of leaders. And what we learned last week in Acts 1 is that when we are filled with God's power, his call is for us to be a witness for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is what they are doing, is they are looking for a 12th man to come and be a witness. Listen to Romans chapter 10 on this topic. How then will they call on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are called, all of us, 
into discipling, into witnessing. And by the way, one of the most effective ways that we can do that here at our church, the, the discipling, the sharing together around the gospel is in city groups, a place where we can pray for one another, a pray, place where we can have fellowship together with one another, a place where we can invite others who don't know Christ in and hear and experience the good news of Jesus and prepare ourselves and disciple one another to go out and share that same good news and to care for one another when the difficult, inevitable moments in life take place and to study the Bible together. Sixth and finally, trust. What do I do in the waiting? The Bible tells us here at the end, trust. Trust. In an interesting way, the Bible says in verse 24 through 26, show which you have chosen. They're praying to God and they say to God, show which, which person you have chosen. This passage literally ends with what appears to be the disciples playing dice. Did you catch that? They're rolling dice. Are they gambling with the offering money? No. Uh, Are they acting like pagans? No. Are they sinning? No. What are they doing? They're trusting in the Lord in the waiting. How so? Well, they've got a question. Right? They've studied the scripture, they've prayed, they still don't know the answer. And so in an act of submission and faith, they say, Lord, whatever you have already chosen, that's what we're going to do. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we're on board. We're going to roll the dice. Wherever you make that dice roll, that is what we are going to do. We trust you, and so you show us the way. How about that? I love that. You make the choice, Lord. We're in it. Either way, because there is no such thing as luck. You understand that God is sovereign even over when you roll the dice. Is it just like a cool phrase? Now, there's something, bumper sticker that. No, I mean it. God is sovereign over the roll of the dice. And so that is why they are going to the Lord and saying, we want to trust you and do whatever you want to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Waiting, trusting. God, do whatever you want to do to prepare me in the interim season where I think I'm ready to go, but you love me too much to to send me out just yet. Teach me, love me, use the difficult, use suffering, use the mundane, whatever you want to do. Use me. Romans 10 that we just read is a call to believers to share the good news. Romans 10 also says this. It's a word for you in particular if you've never trusted in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you need someone to trust this morning? Put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for the day to day, but for all eternity. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. I don't want to be in charge anymore. I'm putting you in charge of my life. 
Let's go to that good and loving Heavenly Father together right now in prayer.